chapter 2. thought this morning I would spend some time. Normally, I um, when we have communion, I don't um, really change what I normally do. I just kind of keep on going with where I am, wherever I'm at or what I've been studying. And I thought this morning it would just be good to to stop that and just pause and and celebrate communion as the part of our whole service. And uh, we want you to know that um, we are here to to remember. And uh, this morning I um, just want to remind you that communion, as we celebrate this morning, is the sacrifice has been made. So what the sacrifice is and what it looks like, we'd like to talk with you a little bit about this morning. But that sacrifice was demonstrated and made on the cross. It's very important to us as we gather for communion um, that we know that you know Jesus personally. And so this morning I want to talk a little bit about a word or, or, or some things that you've probably heard a lot uh, growing up or even in being involved in church. And that word is called salvation. So this morning as we've gathered, I just... Um, I wanted to read some things from, to you and go over a couple of scriptures that I thought might be a blessing to you. But as we celebrate this communion this morning, we'd like to make this table open to you if you have a personal relationship with Christ. That's called in church terms, salvation. What does that look like? And so this morning, I'm just going to read um, basically straight out of our doctrinal statement when it comes to salvation, when it comes to communion. He said, take and eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Likewise, he said, this cup is the New Testament in my blood. This you do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as I eat this bread and drink this cup, you show the Lord's death until he comes. We encourage any true believer to participate in this time that we call communion. As I look through Scripture, as I look through the Word of God, I want to know what a true believer is. I don't want to know if you're an emotional person that had an emotional experience when you're 8, 10, 12, 15, 50, or 60. That's not what I want to to know this morning. I want to know if you've made a personal choice to say yes to Jesus. We would define that by this. We believe that salvation is by grace through faith in in the Lord Jesus Christ. Salvation is made possible through the shed blood, substitutionary death, burial, and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ to all who believe. We define the word believe by trust or reply upon or rely upon, place confidence in. In him, we receive merit of his finished work of atonement and imputed righteousness. The shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ makes possible the forgiveness and justification of the believer, thus making salvation a free gift, not merited or secured by any works, deed, or feeling of man. 
For as one enters the kingdom of God and be saved from the eternal death, he must be born again. That is, he must be regenerated and given new life by the Holy Spirit through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Here's a word that you don't hear a lot anymore in church circles. Repentance is a vital part of believing. So we've gathered this morning to celebrate. It's called communion. We've gathered together as a family, and we gather together as a family to say a couple things and to say those things very clearly. We believe that salvation is the shed blood of Jesus Christ. We believe that he said, you know what, I will be the substitutionary sacrifice for my sins. We are here to say this morning that he was buried. But three days later, he rose again. He's alive. We call that the resurrection. We also know that you have to make a decision when you leave here this morning. You have to decide, do you believe or trust in him? And I want to be very clear about this. I don't want this to be you in your mind thinking you made an emotional decision when you were little. See, I did that. Paul Patton scared me half to death. I would have done whatever Paul Patton asked me to do because whatever what he was talking about was hell, and I'm not going to hell. I said, Pat, Paul, whatever you want me to do, I'll do it. That began the work in my life of salvation. Now, if I would have died that day, would I, I went to heaven with Jesus? I don't know. I'm still alive. I'll let you know when, I, when it's over. But what I'm saying today is publicly, I'm saying to you, I believe. I rely. I have placed my trust completely in Jesus of Nazareth. And not just because he was a miracle-working God. He did some amazing things. But because I believe that I'm a sinner. I believe that I needed somebody to be my Savior. And one of the things I like about the word repentance, it means that you have to make a choice that you have a problem. It's easy to sit in church and say, well, do you have a relationship with Jesus? That's easy. Have you repented for your sins? That's another question. So yeah, I believe, well, a lot of people believe. The devil believes, his angels believe. They know all about Jesus. But they don't believe the way I believe. They haven't said, I need you as a Savior. I need forgiveness from you today. One of the most freeing things for me in the morning as I wake up, as I say to God, God, Jesus and the Holy Spirit, I am in total dependence on you. I have nothing to offer. Would you give me strength today? I have no wisdom. I have no understanding. I'm just like you. I need help. So I say to him, Jesus, I need your help. You have your Bible if you're in Acts chapter 2. A lot of amazing things happen in the book of Acts. The first thing that you'll see in the book of Acts is that the gift was given. And that gift was Jesus of Nazareth. In the book of Acts, you'll see a lot of amazing things as you pick it up in in Acts chapter 2. And and obviously, we're not going to cover all those things, but you're going to see a rushing wind. You're going to see tongues of fire. You're going to be people, see people filled with the Holy Spirit. You're going to see people speaking in another languages. Those all things are really amazing and neat things to happen. You're going to see God-fearing Jews that have gathered from all around the world to this place and this time, and God is going to see fit to deposit the Holy Spirit into their lives. 
But that's not the best part of all of it. The best part is you pick it up in in Acts chapter 2, in verse 14. Then Peter stood up. Don't forget, as you, uh, well, look at verse 13. Some, however, made fun of them and said they have had too much wine to drink. See, there's already an excuse by Satan how the Holy Spirit had come with a, with a mighty rushing wind and, and people were speaking in, in different languages. And they said, oh, you know what, they're already drunk. Well, it's, already, it's only 10 o'clock in the morning, around that time frame. And Peter stands up and says, you know what, guys, it's not true. It's not what's happening. What's happening is, is this. Fellow Jews of all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain to you this. Listen carefully to what I say. These men are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only, I'm sorry, nine in the morning. Know this. This is what is spoken by the prophet Joel. And to a Jewish believer, they would know about Joel. They would know about this prophecy. You and I, doesn't, it's not as big of a deal to you and I. Drop down to verse 22. Men of Israel, listen to Jesus of Nazareth. Was a man accredited to you by God, by miraculous wonders and signs, which God did among you through him. As you yourselves know, this man was handed over to you by God, set purpose and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of the wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep to keep hold on him. Something that's very interesting as I look at this gift that has been given. Peter's standing with eleven or the eleven disciples. Peter's the one that's going to speak. He could have said a lot of different things, but I want you to see what he said, and he said some things that were very clear. There was a gift given, and that gift, if you go back to verse 22, is what? Jesus of Nazareth. On no good thing comes from Nazareth. The Holy Spirit has moved in. Mighty rushing wind. Tongues of fire have fallen down. The Jews are mocking. Peter stands up in the middle of the crowd and says, Wait a second, gentlemen. This is what you need to know. That Jesus was Nazareth was given to you, was a gift to you, and it was accredited by God. How was it accredited by God? Miraculous signs. You know what's interesting? Those people knew that. They knew it was from Nazareth. You know what else they knew? They could not explain the power of his words. Couldn't explain it. And so now in the midst of all this mocking, you got the impulse of Peter standing in front of this crowd and said, wait a minute, we're not drunk. The Jesus of Nazareth, the one that you crucified, that God sent to us, he was accredited to them by miraculous signs and wonders. If you have your Bible, go to Luke chapter 2.
I wrote down the wrong verse. All right, let's go to Luke chapter 5. Sorry about that. Luke chapter 5, verse 12. While Jesus was in the town, a man came along who was covered with leprosy. When he saw Jesus' face, he fell with his face to the ground and begged him, Lord, if you are willing, can you make me clean? Jesus reached out and put his hand on him. I am willing, he said, be clean. And immediately the leprosy fell, left him. Then Jesus ordered him, do not tell anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Luke chapter 7. Verse 36. Now one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him. So he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. When a woman who lived a sinful life in the town learned that Jesus was eating with the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster jar of perfume and stood behind him. And at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with tears. Then she wiped them with her hair and he kissed them and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisees had been invited to see him, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who's touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two men owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he canceled the debt of both. Now which one do you think will love him more? Simeon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt canceled. You have judged correctly, he said. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I, I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her, her many sins have been forgiven, for she loved much. But he who has been forgiven little loves little. Then Jesus said to her, Your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say to them among themselves, Who is this who forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Go back to Acts chapter 2. Jesus of Nazareth was given to the Jews by God And he had shown in verse 22 miraculous signs and wonders, which God did among them through him as you yourselves know. 
Hey, those of you that are mocking. Hey, those of you who think it's a joke. I just remind you this morning, Peter says, Jesus of Nazareth was accredited to you with signs and wonders. Verse 23, this man was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of the wicked men, you nailed him to a cross. The one that had the miraculous, all-miracle-working power, set people free, healed the blind, cleansed people of leopards, forgave sins, that miraculous working God, you chose to nail Him to a cross. You chose to make Him suffer. You chose to humiliate Him. You chose to give Him a painful death. You chose to watch Him die. You chose his death. Now what's amazing is that God allowed that to happen for you. His beloved son was allowed to be hung on a cross, a long, slow death for you. In humiliation, he hung there. As I read in in the beginning of our service, the Romans or the Jews, they didn't kill him. He gave up his life for you. He chose to be your sin payment. He chose to don the cross for you so you would have a way of forgiveness. But what's exciting is verse 24. Is that but God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the from the agony of death, because it is impossible for death to keep hold on him. It's impossible. God raised him from the dead. Drop down to verse 32. God has raised Jesus to life. And we are all witnesses of that fact. Nine o'clock in the morning, they're making fun of this Christianity. They're saying the people are drunk. They're mocking him. Peter stands up and says, hold on a second. I just want to remind you about the gift that was given. His name was... Jesus of Nazareth that was at a credit to you, shown to you his miracle working power. You killed him. But Peter stood there that day saying this, I am Peter standing here before you today as a witness along with the other disciples. Those disciples stood there as a testimony saying what? He's alive. Yeah, we watched him die. We watched him put him, you guys put him in the tomb. We watched you place the guard around him. We watched all that stuff. But we're saying to you today that he's alive. 
say to you today that he's alive. What's exciting to me about this passage of Scripture is their response. They recognized after Peter said, hey, here's the truth. Look at verse 33. Exalted to the right hand of God, he was received from the Father, the promised Holy Spirit, and was poured out. And that you have seen and heard, for David did not answer to these ascended to the heavens, as it is said, the Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until my may make my enemy your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Their response, verse 37. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and to the other apostles, Brothers, what? shall we do? What shall we do? They went from, let's make fun of these people, to what do you want us to do? We recognize it. There's something going on inside of us. We understand. What shall we do? You repent and you be baptized. You mean to tell me at nine, you're going to mock my Savior. And however long Peter took to, to give this word, at the end of this word, the people are asking Peter and the other disciples, what shall we do? They recognized that they were sinners. They recognized that they had been blinded. And Peter says to them, Repent. What you know what I know is a lot of you have been sitting in church for a long time. Many, many years. Have you ever asked God what He wanted you to do? Have you ever said, you know, that is the Word of God. I recognize it as true. And so what does the Word of God have for my life? What's your choice today? It's very easy to be sitting in a building and as, as we talk with Rachel, as she's away at school, and we talk about the word gospel, we talk about the word salvation, it's very easy for us to become very comfortable and say, well, yeah, that's what I did when I was 10. That's what I did when I was 15. That's what I did when I was 25. Oh, no, I made that decision when I was 40. Yeah, all those things are true. Okay, that's not bad. You know what's really vital? You make that decision today, every day. The gospel's for me today. Salvation is for me today. Without that, I have no hope. I have no power. I have no strength. And so this morning as we've gathered, Mr. Seymour maybe puts it in a little different terminology. God has a demand that their payment must be made for your sin. Man has a condition. We're all sinners. There's not one of us sitting in this building that hasn't sinned. You can thank Adam and Eve. 
What's God's penalty for sin? Separation. It's God's choice. You know what God's provision was for that penalty? Cross. What you and I are going to celebrate. Oh, we call it communion. Yeah, it's communion. But what are we saying? We are celebrating the death, the burial, and the resurrection of our Savior, my Savior. I'm making that public today. What's my response? So you have to make a response. It's not osmosis. Believe. Rely upon. What do we call that? Well, in church terminology, we call that a Christian. I'm not a Christian. I'm a Christ follower. There's a difference. I was a Christian for many years of my life. I call myself a Christian because that was easy. I wasn't going to go to hell. I'm a Christian. I'm not going to hell. I'm a Christ follower now. Because I recognize that my Father has given me some words, and I want to respond to His words correctly. His word has asked me to believe. His word has asked me to follow. If I'm willing to do that, God has given me a guarantee. You know what that guarantee is? Eternal life. Eternal life. So this morning as we transition to communion, this morning as we stop and celebrate, if you have, as a person sitting in this room say, Pastor Todd, that's me. I'm a Christ follower. Pastor Todd, I believe in salvation. I believe in the death, burial, and resurrection of my Savior. I believe that I needed somebody to pay for my sin. This communion table is open to you. If you're in this room and you don't believe that and you haven't made that choice, Please pass on this communion. First Corinthians, and I don't read this to scare you, but I read this for you to examine your heart. Therefore, whoever eats this bread and drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. For anyone who eats this eats and drinks without recognizing the body of the Lord eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many among you are weak and sick, and a number of you have fallen asleep. 1 Corinthians chapter 20 chapter 11 27 to 30 That's why I want salvation to be clear to you as you gather because it you know it's communion oh it's it's not well it's what we always do you know we just pass the bread and we pass the cup and we say the right certain things and it's communion it's not just communion to me It's my Savior demonstrating His love for me 
and me responding with, yes, I believe. Me holding on to a piece of bread is public declaration of saying, I believe. Me holding the cup and looking at the juice is a reminder of the blood that was spilled by him purposefully for me. And I say, I believe. If you say you believe in those things, then this table is open to you. As the men come, Rodney comes, just ask you to take a minute. Music will play. Men will stand down front. But as we, as we stand down front and as music plays, we're not playing it just to play it. We're not playing it to make it awkward. We're playing it so that you have an opportunity to evaluate your heart. That there is no doubt that this morning when you hold this bread and you hold this cup, that you are publicly saying, I believe. Not in a feeling, not in an emotion, not in raising your hand. But you are saying, yes, Pastor Todd, in this building, I am saying to you this morning that salvation is through the shed blood of of Jesus Christ. He's the only way. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. For those who believe. That's not just a once-off fire insurance belief. Don't fool yourself. It's me finishing my last breath through the power of the Holy Spirit, saying I continue to believe. I want you to pray with me, just quietly in your own, you there, you and Jesus.